Hello, everyone, and welcome to the sixth episode of the Search for Tomorrow podcast, where I interview some up-and-coming or less well-known Canadian Magic players. And for my guest today, I have someone who's actually a very good friend of mine. I have Spencer Mazur, or more notably known as the Happy Sandwich. How's it going today? Oh, pretty good. I'm doing right. How are you doing? I'm good. Uh, so one of the reasons I decided to bring you on is not only because you're my friend, but Very good because friend. you've actually been uh, crushing it in modern for quite a while now, I would say. And I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, you have, of that we know, the most modern challenge top eights this season. Correct? Yeah, I'm kind of, I really like modern. It's kind of my thing. And not only that, you also won the Mana Trader series in June, playing Modern. And you're sort of like the go-to for everyone when it comes to lists for Hammer, at least in like the circles that that we frequent or, or even on Twitter or uh, Moto. So I, you've really made a big name for yourself playing playing Hammer Time. Yeah, uh, I really like my list. I know over the past couple months has put up like the most results of any list uh like usually my 73 or, or 75 of my cards uh i think it's just probably the best list out there i don't think i'd go to anybody else's yeah no that makes it makes a lot of sense it's hard to argue with the results it, like it's so crazy like people kept saying like oh my god he's just top eights everything he top eights everything and then he just won the the june mana mana traders as well it's just like a nice uh, cherry on top for like getting something like pretty substantial to go along with all of your great challenge results. It's, it's pretty sick. I love to see it. Yeah. But um, so the whole point of the podcast is to highlight people that like aren't like one of the known names in the magic community or like the people you would expect to be like the top players at like G the, there's no GPs anymore, but like at face-to-face events or the regional championships, or even like your local RCQs, the people to like worry about and watch out for. But like the thing is, there's people out there who have got really good during the pandemic or like yeah. have started before the pandemic. And these are the people that are just going to keep crushing these events that no one's really going to know. And the point of the podcast is kind of highlight these people and just like put a pin in it, put a stamp in it that like, like we told you they were very good. Don't be surprised when they start winning everything. Yeah, and you've really just been crushing it. Like your your growth from before the pandemic to now oh, awful. has has been so massive. But before we get to that in particular, why don't you start with like your start with Magic and then how you got into competitive Magic? Uh, so I started with Magic in high school. Uh, a few of my friends just bought Magic cards and just started playing. And excluded me. They didn't buy me any <laughs> cards or bring me with them, which kind of sucked. But then I eventually convinced them to come with me, buy some cards, and then we just all started playing together. Built some really shitty decks, some like Terra Stomper, just awful decks, just pretty much unplayable. But then that eventually led us into playing EDH. Uh, and we go from store to store trying to find stronger and stronger cards to put in our decks over weeks and weeks. And that was really cool to see the power creep of our decks uh, kind of increase over time. And then just as I was uh, graduating from high school, 
uh, I bought my first standard deck and went to my first pre-release, uh, which was my first, like, maybe not tournament, but actual gameplay experience in a store. Uh, and that kind of really made me want to play Magic a lot more. I go out every Friday, uh, go to every pre-release, try and buy a good deck. And then I eventually found my way into a friend group that just had a bunch of very good people in it that wanted to travel to GPs, be competitive, try and get to the pro tour. And I was always the worst of them, unfortunately, which kind of sucked for five, six, seven years. Uh, it was good seeing them succeed, but it was always shitty that I was just not good enough. And it was a lot of self-imposed stuff, just like uh, not happy with my play, making a lot of simple mistakes, and not trying to fix them very often. Uh, but you, uh, Devin, Kale, Thompson, who was another very good player, always pushed me to be better and better. And then post-pandemic, or as the pandemic started, I really wanted to continue playing uh, and continue getting better. And then when I found Hammer Time, it really spoke to me as a deck in a way that no other deck has. Uh, and then I just started putting up results. And I just kind of have a drive to play competitive Magic now because I'm doing so well. And I just want to continue that into the future. Okay. So do you think you were always like competitive in like your EDH before you got to the local store? Like were you always trying like really trying to win or maximize play? Or just trying to have fun? Uh, I was trying to Yes, I was. I was trying to make my deck better than everybody else's from the start. Uh I'd always try and buy the best cards uh and try to beat them as best as possible. And I succeeded for the most part. I think. Okay, and like, so what was your first standard deck? Like when you went to the the local game store and decided to start playing standard? Uh, I bought Chamber of the Parishes, and it was just green white humans. I had a pet card with Revenge of the Hunted, and I turned three to a lot of people going Addison's Pilgrim into Silverblade Paladin into Revenge of the Hunted at the top, and just killing them on turn three, and I was pretty happy about that. Uh, what is Revenge of the Hunters? <laughs> uh, it's a miracle. Is that the miracle? Oh my goodness. Yeah. One green, plus six, <laughs> plus six, and all creatures able to block it have to do so. And when you give something double strike, that is at does least it, Does it give damage. trample? Yeah. Oh, okay. And what does it cost if you don't uh, miracle it? It's six. Okay, okay, okay. Well, yeah. six, well, six mana. Well, but at the yeah. time, you could play Wolf or Silverheart too. That's that five was, mana. That card was pretty crazy with uh, Silverblade Paladin at the time. Yeah, it was a combo. Do you think having like this, like affiliation with uh, like a powerful deck, kind of just like led to the perfect thing? Because I know previously, because we know each other, you really gravitated towards a lot of bad decks. Yeah, and you kept playing them, and like sometimes you would get really good with the deck, and it may not be that good. What made you? decide to play this deck that's like finally like tier one one of the best decks or did it just happen to be the deck you liked happened to be one of the best decks uh i didn't really want to play hammer time uh you showed it to me initially and i thought it was kind of a meme unfortunately so i kind of sat on it for like a month uh before i started playing it 
Um, but it was just so strong. I think I won like at one point I was like 58 and seven in leagues with it, just killing everybody. It was just so strong. And then it started becoming the meta more and more and it became one of the top decks. I just wanted to stick with it because prior to this, I picked up humans well after it was tier one. I picked up affinity well after it was tier one. Before that, I was a mono blue gamer on Tron. Not a good deck, very bad. I still put up results. I didn't top eight anything because it was awful and the deck was bad. <laughs> and before that, I think my first modern deck, probably because I was poor, was Soul Sisters. Uh, also very bad. But I've always been attracted to these decks that could just make big creatures and attack for big numbers all at once. Uh, and I think Hammer Time is the first time that I've played a deck at its peak and also been playing well. And I just really want to stick to it, even though like some people call it a one trick, but I'm totally fine with that. It's a good trick, right? Like, it's a good uh, trick. <laughs> yeah. So one thing, so it feels like the kind of decks you sort of gravitate towards are the decks that have the ability to have these like incredible starts for free wins, but also like have the ability to not fold completely. Like, different than like an all-in combo deck it's like a deck that has all-in potential but at the same time it doesn't just like auto lose to a certain card or doesn't just die right away if it doesn't win that turn and i think affinity is sort of like that i think humans is like that back in the day even though it was a little slower because it was disruptive but some of its starts were so disruptive and fast that it kind of felt the same as sometimes you just ran away with games you're like champion of the parish into thalia into reflector mage into lieutenant image lieutenant and then there, there's like your opponent never had an opportunity to play the game like a free win and i think hammer time capitalizes that on re really well just the card urza saga is the perfect card for going fast and going late because it just it fetches part of the combo and yeah i think it's kind of cool what you pointed out that you're pl like playing the deck and you wanted to stick with it. And that's like sort of what drove you to get really good. I think is because once your deck became more popular, the hate became like really bad, like lots of force of vigors, lots of like uh stony silence, like collector oof, just all sorts of these cards that are like built to hose hammer chalices, but you've been forced because you like the deck so much and you want to, play the deck to just kind of get better because you want to keep beating all these strategies do you think like that do you think that's true do you think that's kind of what what happened for you uh yeah so something about me is i learned by repetition so i find it very hard to go into a different format or pick up a new deck and just do well i need to get reps on the deck and just play it consistently for a long time and Doing that with one deck allows you to really understand the format of like what you need to be expecting from each deck and what to play around, where your power points are, uh, early game going into the mid game. Uh, and especially with hammer where you definitely do get some early free wins by just equipping a hammer to like an ornithopter and attacking for 10 or attacking for 20 on turn two. But it's mainly about finding the correct spot to go all in or the correct spot to force resources from your opponent that they don't want to be using on those turns. Um, 
And just sticking with the deck for so long, I have just extremely efficient at trying to do that every time I play and making the correct decision every time, which is something Hammer also excels at. Uh, when it's pilot makes the correct decisions every time, the deck is almost unstoppable, it feels like. Yeah, no, definitely. The The difference between good Hammer players and bad Hammer players is, is astronomical. It's probably the hardest deck to play in modern because there's so many decisions and they're very punishing. So yeah. like a lot of decks have tons of decisions, but if you mess up, it's not that the end of the world. You just like are down a card, but you could be down a card, two cards and like your avenue to win the game. So it's like super punishing in that regard. And so like all the things you just described there about your, like your affinity for hammer reminds me of affinity. Exactly yeah. what you're describing is there's the turns where you have to understand, okay, I'm going to put four counters on Inkmoth and attack twice. I don't think they have an answer. It's my best option. Or I'm just going to keep playing threats like they go to kill it. I'll just sack it to Ravager. If they go to hit my Ravager, sure, I'll let it die. I'll pump out up another creature. And you yeah. just kind of keep creating these like negative uh, interactions or exchanges with your opponent. So what do you think? Basically, what I'm trying to get at is why do you think this time you improved so much more than with Affinity? And I wanted to kind of throw out the idea. Do you think that you would be able to get this good that fast if it wasn't for the pandemic? And what I mean by that is if you're driving to like your LGS every week or three times a week instead of playing on Moto three, four, five times a week, do you think that had an effect uh, I definitely do, because it just allows me to play so much more Magic. Uh, when I want... I know a lot of people who only play Paper, and they just don't understand their decks as well as a lot of people that play online, it feels like. Because um, I just have hundreds, if not thousands, of more games than them, even if they play like once or twice every week at their local stores. Uh, so it definitely helped just being able to sit here a lot and just grind what I want to and just put those reps in because that just is very helpful to me. Yeah, I think there's also something to be said about the experience of like players like us, for example, that play on Moto in discords all the time and not necessarily like asking for advice in the moment, but there's just so much feedback constantly from each other yeah. and opinions and you just kind of get like a whole bunch of information really fast from a bunch of different people. And when you're at the, the LGS, it just doesn't happen. Like maybe they watched your last three turns of a game and yeah. the time sink as well. Like at an LGS you go, it's like five hours, you played four rounds and then you're home. And on Moto, it's like five hours, you've played 15 matches. You've like talked a whole bunch with the people you're, you're streaming with or maybe just thought about it yourself. I just think, the pandemic really accelerated a lot of people's growth who are wanted to stick with competitive magic or were getting into competitive magic and their only outlet just happened to be like the most efficient outlet to me, which is magic online. Uh, yeah, I think I'd agree with that. Like I try and go it every Friday because I like paper magic, but getting to play four rounds over four hours is kind of brutal. Like I've played entire I 5 0 a league in like 21 minutes once with Hammer, which is like, obviously it's not going to happen every time, but 
I just get to then play another league if I want to. Whereas if I'm out in paper, I just can't do that. Even even playing against your friends or some random person in between matches is not really the same because they're not like actual games of Magic, so it is a little bit different. Yeah, it's been it's been so cool to like witness your, your growth as your friend. So like, there's some people who in Magic, like let's say I just didn't know who they were, and then they start putting up results. Now I'm just like, oh, they're very good. But yeah. it's just so sick to like see you go from where you were to now it's like now you're so good at playing hammer and i think that is going to translate to other stuff have you played like other formats and found yourself playing better or at least like thinking about things differently like has playing all this moto and all this success sort of changed your mindset or changed your thought process when you play games uh because hammer is so hard to play and it makes you think so much. I this definitely made me improve like all across Magic. Uh, I've been playing Pioneer a lot lately, I'm playing Abzan Grease Fang, which I feel is the most like hammer adjacent deck, so it fits right into my playstyle, attacking for thirteen on turn two sometimes. Um, it's definitely just made me an all around better player, playing so much and playing such a hard deck. I think. Yeah, there's a lot a lot of transferable skills. And it's funny you bring up the deck you're playing in Pioneer, Abzan Grease Fang. It's just like the same sort of descriptor of how it seems like you like to play Magic. There's the free wins, mm -hmm. and then there's like the sort of eking out value and playing a longer game. But honestly, is Grease Fang that good at playing a long game, do you think? Or do you think you just have to try and beat the hate and move on? You're sort of a plan A only deck. No, I definitely think it has two plans. Uh, because there's so much recursion uh, with Can't Stay Away to get Grease Fang back, and there's so much ability to find Grease Fang with like Grizzly Selvage, you have so many options to attempt to combo off, and they have to answer all these pieces every single time. And then uh, Essica's Chariot is also just very good at grinding away. And okay. because... Oh, sorry. Do I go? No, go ahead. Uh, because you you hit eight lands on turn eight every single time because of things like Seder Wayfinder <laughs> and Grizzly Selvage, you're always playing your Perhelion if it's in your hands, and it's just a way to kill them in the late game. So, how often does casting Perhelion come up? More what often. What decks yeah, aren't often. killing you? <laughs> I don't know. They got to block everything. They got to kill everything. They don't have a lot of time to set up when so you're trying to go off. It seems like, so from what you've described, is like the deck has a plan A that's pretty resilient because it can do plan A multiple times. And plan B is sort of like a Zika's Chariot and recurring it and bouncing it and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah, the deck's been uh, putting up a lot of results lately. Do you have like a, like what new innovation to the deck do you think happened that kind of put it back on the map? Because not a lot has changed. Uh, I think a lot of people were just on different colors before. I think the green splash is newer. Um, I'm not really sure because I wasn't playing it before this. I don't think I was really playing Chariot before, which is a really good plan B, like you were saying. Uh, and the green cards are just so good. Like Grizzly Selvage is probably, to me, the best card in the deck. And yeah. it just has so much ability to just keep you in the game, I think. Yeah, I think the only card that's new from the deck that started popping up was the two mana 
Looter. Rafine's Informant? Uh, Rafine's Informant. Yeah, I think that's the card that sort of started popping up recently. I did see a list so, recently that cut that for Rotting Regisaur, though. However, I've not tried that list yet. Well, you haven't tried the, the big Roddy. No. Rotman? <laughs> John Rotman? <laughs> okay. So, have you qualified for the, the regional championship? You have, correct? I have, yeah, I've qualified. I have two invites, one to Toronto, one to Calgary. Okay, why don't you talk to me about uh, how you got both of those invites? Uh, so one of them was at the face-to-face -face open on July 9th, I think, uh, playing Hammer. Uh, I didn't do too great. Uh, I played most, played mostly well, I think. Uh, I went 5-3, came 32nd, so I was very, very lucky to get the invite there. Uh, I did get a game loss, though, because I have foils in my deck, and I really like foils. And I forgot to ask a judge about it at the start, which was... Not a good idea. Uh, and my second invite was from an RCQ in Trenton, uh, where I went 7-1 with essentially the same list. I haven't changed my list in a very long time, so I'm pretty happy to get both of those, I think. Okay. Is your current plan to go to both regional championships? Uh, maybe. I'm going to Toronto for sure. Uh, I currently don't know about Calgary. Because I'm qualified for the Manitrader's 30k at the end of the year, which they don't have a date for, but it did say the second weekend of December, which is the exact same weekend as Calgary. So I don't actually know if I'm able to go to Calgary if I'm going to be playing in that tournament. Yeah, I, I would. Yeah, it's, I wonder what the like the EV play is to which one to play. Manitrader's is like, a, is it a 30k or is it yeah, a 10k? Th 30k. 48 people and first place gets 10 grand holy that's a lot which that is a lot I think. and i suspect calgary would be like 300 players 250 players and first place gets like four grand plus worlds and a pro tour invite yeah but you'd have to fly to calgary and like stay in calgary so like it costs you like 500 bucks to play the tournament yeah i guess if my my end goal which I, I guess I would like to make the Pro Tour because I've never been there before. And obviously, Worlds is even more than that. But it would be to go to Calgary, but I'm not currently sure. Because I definitely have to see the date first for the Mana Traders. So now that you're playing a lot of Magic, is the goal right now you like really want to qualify for a Pro Tour? Yeah. So I've been playing since 2011, and I've been awful for a lot of it. So I've made like one RPTQ. And I didn't come close to even qualifying for the Pro Tour. I've done very poorly in GPs. I think I day two like three times and cashed once. So I've never even come close to making it to the Pro Tour. And I think it would be really cool to get there now that I'm good, I guess. Yeah, I, I think yeah, I think you I think you could do it, honestly. I think you have a really good shot. I think these regional tournaments are an amazing opportunity. You've been crushing it on Magic Online, and Magic Online is harder than paper it's just oh, yeah. quite simply much harder have you have you noticed like that you like went super hard on magic online that you come back to paper and why don't you just tell me what what it kind of feels like like the competition like the kind of players you're playing against and also just kind of describe like the how it feels different or how it feels the same uh so online 
I feel like the competition is a lot higher, uh, especially because anybody can play at any point, and there's going to be a lot of grinders that want to be playing all those tournaments. Uh, paper feels a lot different to me. Uh, a lot more mistakes to be made because you don't have Moto like playing half the game for you with triggers and everything. And a lot of them are just local players who just want to come out and have fun. So it doesn't feel like everybody's out to like spike the tournament and try to win everything. Um, so it's definitely a lot different, but I really do like paper. Uh, even if I also like being competitive a lot of the time, because not everybody really wants to play this, the same game as me in paper where like they just really want to have fun where I don't I'm not really being there to do that all the time so yeah your fun is like you're you're there to have fun but your fun is like trying to improve getting better and like winning not necessarily like the things you're doing within the game per se mm -hmm. right yeah I thought you were going to be like I'm not there to have fun <laughs> well I'm there to make friends fun. <laughs> well every time I go out there are a lot of new people at one of the stores I go to. And my goal when I'm playing against somebody like that is always trying to make them feel okay with their own play and helping them improve. Because I'd rather see everybody at a store be competitive in the same way that I am. Uh, and I don't, I don't ever want to make people feel bad even if I want to win every time. So I do be a little careful to like, obviously just not be an asshole. Yeah, it's... In important like if you want the community to grow to like the kind of competition you want if you're at the top of the the the, the field or whatever you have to help people grow and sometimes that's like a cost to yourself like you'll let them take back like an obviously terrible play you'll like remind them of their trigger you'll make sure that like the game state stays nice and that you're never like getting them on a rules interaction you just always want to like keep like keep them feeling good about the game and try to help them learn if that's what they're interested in. And sometimes people, they're not interested in that and that's okay too. But I think growing your local scene is just going to help you grow because I think that's one of the things that stunts a lot of people's growth is the local scene. If you're just like significantly better than the, the people around you or stuff like that. Yeah, I've lost more than a few games just letting my opponents take stuff back and telling them how to kill me, um, which is fine. Like, a lot of the plays are illegal because they, they might not know what they're doing. So obviously I can't, can't take advantage of that. But it's just tough. I really just want people to get better around me, I guess, is what I'm saying. And that's important to me at a local level when I'm playing like an FNM or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I can understand that. I've, so I personally have stopped playing uh, local magic almost entirely and not necessarily because I think like those around me are like bad players or anything like that. It like, it does factor in that. I feel like I have less to learn from them than they do for me. And it's just feels like a better use of my time to just like play magic online with, like some really high quality players that I know are really good, especially when my goal is to grow personally myself, get back on the pro tour play. I played the last two paper pro tours and I would really like to qualify for this paper one as well. 
and like it means a lot to me so just as much like using my time wisely i've just stopped playing locally and i i do miss it but the tournaments i love the most are the paper ones like going to the face opens the regional championship qualifiers just or like 1ks 2ks just good competitive paper tournaments are is the best kind of magic it just feels so much better yeah, I would definitely agree. Uh, I only go about once a week to play Paper Magic um, on like a casual basis because, like you said, playing online and playing with good people surrounding you uh, makes you a lot better. And me and you play a lot of uh, modos together, and I know we're always trying to help each other in the same way. Um Sometimes it's less helpful than others, but... Oh, yeah. <laughs> Most of the time we're shitting on each other. <laughs> yeah. Or I'll, I'll tell you to make a play after seeing the board stay for about 10 seconds, and you'll just do it. <laughs> yeah. My, my friends are a lot worse at playing hammer than I am, so it definitely gets me put in positions where I kill myself a lot, which is not ideal. But all in good fun, I guess. Except in all the top eights you guys have thrown for me. But It's true. We've thrown a lot of top eights for you. Yeah. <laughs> At least two. But oh. um, I think paper tournaments, actual tournaments, are probably the best, especially when you get to play in a competitive environment where you're also hanging out with your friends. Uh, those are probably some of the most fun. Uh, but also going and doing well is especially where I want to be. And... My path is the same as yours, as as you, where I do want to get to the Pro Tour at some point and play higher level Magic. So, I'm definitely competitive in that aspect. Uh, because, just because you have like a unique experience to some of the other guests I've had, where you weren't the best player before and you're very good now. What do you tell me? How Paper Magic feels different for you now than it did then? Um. I think I just noticed a lot more mistakes now from other people. Uh, Paper Magic kind of feels like, I don't know, kind of like cheating a lot because everybody takes stuff back. Uh, and you can make a play and just like kind of move back on it, assuming you're obviously like not trying to get an advantage. Um, it just feels. It feels like I know a lot more now about how the game works uh, from playing online and just being a lot more structured. Whereas a lot of people who haven't played online, it looks like they just play a lot looser and don't really pay attention to the board state and what their opponent's going to do because they're too busy, I don't know, talking or like just looking around at the environment. So, yeah, the one thing. I would say I noticed like difference between paper magic and uh, magic online when it comes to like RCQs, one Ks and face opens and, and the like is that my opponents don't quite understand the timing of when to do stuff. Oh, for it's sure. like with triggers on the stack or like without triggers on the stack or like letting me draw a card first and just all that kind of stuff. It just feels like there's a lot of people making a lot of errors in that way. And that's why sometimes if, because Moto lays it out for you, it feels like Paper Magic is like easy mode. 
because other people are making so many more mistakes. No, oh, it's infinite mistakes. Like, do you feel like you show up to an RCQ, you should expect to top eight? Um, I don't really, I try not to expect anything because A, that puts me in a bad position, I think, where if I do poorly, I'm going to feel like shit. Uh, but I don't think anything is for granted, but I do always like to think that I have a very good chance of doing, doing well. Um, and most of my paper experience so far, since I've been back, it's been about eight months or so have been positive, which I'm very happy about. Uh, but it does seem like lately, at least in the smaller events that I'm the best person there, which can kind of be bad because there are many people that are still better than me and I'm not learning in the same way that I would if I had a stronger field around me, like, say yeah, the, one, like a face open. Yeah. One thing I would always say is like, you can learn something from anyone and not just necessarily like them teaching you a lesson, but it can be a lesson learned playing the game against them, like a spot you haven't seen before, an interaction you haven't thought about, a better way to do something that you didn't consider would be better because of like a circumstance that doesn't happen that often, but it is like just better to do it a certain way. I think, like you said, you shouldn't expect to top eight any event. I think you should just expect yourself to play better than most people. And if yeah. you do top eight because of that, then so be it. I think you got to have your goals be focused mostly on things you can control. I think it's okay to have like the overarching goal of like qualify. I like qualifying for the pro tour, but I think it's just a little bad to have it be something just like that. I think it's, you just have to kind of take it easy on yourself and let yourself lose. Cause it's going to happen. Cause I notice a lot of players who are like just on the up and up who haven't like quite hit the level where I think they can qualify for like a couple pro tours every year. They, they make that mistake all the time where they feel like winning is the only important thing when it's absolutely not the only important thing. Yeah. My goal is to mainly, I like winning, but my goal is to just play well, because if I play well consistently, I'm going to do well. Um, and just as I was starting to get better this year, I had a lot of onus on doing well every event. And I still kind of have that mindset where when I'm playing a challenge, if I'm not top eighting, I kind of feel bad. Even though if you top 16 or top 32 most tournaments, like that's a pretty good result if you can do it consistent. Uh, but I was kind of hard on myself for a bit for just like not being at the top of every tournament. But Again, I'm not bad, but there are still a lot of players better than me, so I can't always expect to do the best. And also, the game is just full of variance. So even if you're making all the right choices, you're going to get variance out sooner or later. Yeah, I completely agree. And that mindset you kind of talked about of like being pissed off because you didn't top eight a tournament, that, that happened to me right when the pandemic started. And I think we were both playing the, the white-black enchantment deck and I remember we both top aided quite a few tournaments. And I top, I think I top aided like three or four of the super PTQs. And then, yeah, that was great. And then I just started to feel bad if I didn't win. Like I would was having excellent results overall, but because I wasn't qualifying for the Pro Tour, 
I was upset. And that's part of the reason that toxic mindset is why I took a break from the game for a year. Yeah, I think we both took a break for a bit and then kind of came back at the same point. But just not being too hard on yourself for most losses, and especially when they were out of your control. Like, I'm pretty hard on myself when I make mistakes because you can't play perfectly all the time because that would be insane. But consistently playing well, and then when you're just, like, have an entire month where you play bad can be pretty hard on your ego, I guess. And it could be tough to kind of crawl out of that hole when you are playing poorly for such an extended period of time. Yeah, ego is a is a tough thing to deal with when, like, when you're starting to get pretty good at magic and there's this, like, thing where you want people to recognize that you're good and you start making dumb mistakes or you start like caring so much about what other people think that you it ends up just like negatively reflecting on your play or even like your mood and i think that's something that i've definitely fallen into quite a few times before and i think just eventually myself at least i i'll make a pretty dumb mistake and it just doesn't even really bother me anymore because I'll just note it and not do it again next time and just kind of move on. I think for my relationship to be okay with magic is I just had to accept to like forgive myself when, when I do something stupid or I like make a mistake because like I can play better, but I think you just got to give yourself a break, like take it easy on yourself. Oh, it's definitely impossible to play perfectly all the time. And when I throw like my win in a way, like especially a game where that's actually important, I'll be hard on myself for like the hour or two after, but then at some point you just got to throw it away and like reset for the next day for the next tournament. And being able to do that because, because I was so bad for so long, I, I have it in my brain that it's like okay to lose. And I, I think I just had to relearn that at some point over the past year. And I don't know. My relationship with Magic is pretty okay right now, I think. Yeah. So I, I appreciate uh, you talking to me today for this episode. I think there's a lot of great insight with everything you've you've told us. And so I just wanted to know what tournaments do you have coming up next? Like what's down the pipeline for you for the next month or two? Uh, I think it's just I'm qualified for the modern showcase qualifier. I think it's called, which is the one before the mocks. And that's on this Saturday. So I hope to do well, because that would be dope. I think that would be really cool to win that somehow. Uh, and then it's not really much to like November, I think, since I'm okay. double qualified. So Are you going to be playing any regional qualifiers? Because you're allowed to in Canada keep playing. Uh, yeah, shout out to a regional qualifier on the 27th that critical hit board games should be i'll be there i'll sign your hammers oh will you uh, my signature is very bad don't do that please don't <laughs> okay well before we go i just wanted to plug uh, our sponsor face to face games.com they have a crazy sale coming up from august 5th to the 22nd and it's up to 75 percent off of everything so you got to figure out what that means for whatever you're looking for for specifically. But there's something out there that's 75% off. 
at least one thing is 75% off. Uh, but we do appreciate that. And if you're a store looking to host these regional qualifiers to get your competitive scene going, face-to-facegames.com is the place where you can sign up for these or get information on how to sign up for next season or anything you really need. And if you're a competitive player and you are looking for your store to get more competitive, just urge them to check out face-to-facegames.com and get these regional tournaments. There seems to be like a decent amount of stores that have a competitive community or like are close to a competitive community that didn't really uh, sign up for one. So if you want to see one, let your store know and let them know where to go. Face to fame games.com. Well, is there anything you'd like to say or plug Spencer or the happy sandwich as it were? Uh, no, I'm good. Thank you for having me though. It was fun. Yeah, no problem. Uh, give, uh, where can people follow you on Twitter? Uh, at underscore happy sandwich. And then there is my YouTube channel that I don't post to very often, which is just my name, Spencer Mazer. So like comment and subscribe. Oh, look at you. Cut that. Don't cut Oh my gosh. No, we're not cutting that. Cut Do that. not cut that. All right. Well, that's the sixth episode for the search for tomorrow podcast. Thanks for listening.